after what Joe said last week, I've got to see if I can outdo him on running you over or if I can do him better and have it shorter. <laughs> but we're going to try our best <laughs> to keep it within means. Uh, I think what made that I can am more apt to keep it within the time limit is years ago I was the guest, well, the associate pastor on a radio broadcast out of Lebanon, Pennsylvania, on WLBR. And, you know, when, when they say you're on, you're on. <laughs> and, and when that second hand gets up to 12 in the last minute, you're off. <laughs> so I had to learn in a hurry to, how to curb my messages. Uh, but when you're here in a church like this, you don't have to worry. <laughs> if you go over, they listen anyhow. Today we're talking about the benefits of the hidden word. You know, many people wonder about it, and a lot of it has to do with how we use our uh, prayer time and our time to sometimes to sit back and meditate on God's word. That is, sit back and think. Well, a, a verse in your head and come up with what do you really think God means? What is God telling you through that particular verse? Now, there are more people, I think, <laughs> I hate to say this, but I think there are more people that oftentimes are into transcendental meditation instead of the meditation that God is talking about. Years ago, uh, I was in at the YMCA in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, quite frequently, and they had TM classes, and they had yoga in there too. Well, no use trying to talk any of you people into yoga because there are too many gray heads here, and I know you couldn't get in the lotus position anymore. <laughs> So that one I'm not afraid that anybody's going to get into. But transcendental meditation is different. And so that you understand what it is, both of those come out of Hinduism. Both those, uh, those exercises, or whatever you want to call them, come out of Hinduism. Now, they, when the lotus people get into the lotus position, they start going, um, it sounds like a disturbed nest of bumblebees when, the, when, you have a ho when you have a room full of them. But they're doing that and they claim it is to clear the mind. Well, you know, if you clear the mind that you have an empty head and the devil can get in there real quick. He, he, can, he can cause you to do things or to say things that you wouldn't normally say or do. So we're not thinking of that. We're going to drop them right now and go into what, what a Christian should think about and what the Christian does. Uh, one of the verses that we're going to start with is in First Psalms, the first two chapter and the first two verses. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That is, blessed is the one that don't mess around with things like what we just talked about. But, but 
as, as a, a follower of God, its delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. A lot of people misunderstand what it means all day long or day, meditating day and night. It means whenever you think about God, you know, think about what he's taught us, what he's, uh, we learned through his word. And you would be surprised how much of it will go sink down into your heart. And you will be able to recall those experiences uh, sometimes, oftentimes in the time when you need to have some word of comfort, it'll come forth, it'll come out of you. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, up there in Pennsylvania, out in farm country, we, up there we had six different denominations. We had the Lutherans, the German Reformed, we had the Mennonites, we had the Brethren, and we had the Dunkirk Brethren up there. And the only one that was really oriented to people getting scripture into their being, into their heart, was the Brethren Church. They ran a summer daily vacation Bible school. And I attended that until I was old enough to get a job and work over the summer. But I did that from preschool on because they started, I think it was four years old, you could start, uh, go to the Bible school. And that's where I learned to memorize. I can still bring to mind memory, uh, many of the things that we committed to memory back then. And uh, it's a great comfort to me, even today, yet when I can recall things, I don't have to always pick up the Bible. Now, remember that I said I don't always have to pick up the Bible because I'm going to tell you something at the end of the message. But that. Uh, the second uh, scripture that I want to refer to is Psalm 63, verse 6. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. And then there's another one that I can tie in with it, and it's Psalm 119.48. My hands will I also lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. See, if you look in the book of Psalms, there are so many places it tells us to meditate, to stop and think on, on the things that we just read, that it might be instilled in our hearts. In my recent hospitalization, I often lay there after all the visitors went, and I lay there, and I remember laying, I repeated the, the 23rd Psalm. I repeated to myself the Psalm 100. I went to the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, and uh, usually ended with John 14, in my Father's house. That's my favorite scripture. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, he said he would have told us. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you might be also. I will come again and call you. I will be coming again. And that, that one's always been one of my favorites. I mean, I can just about get, if I was in a, 
in a different type of church, I'd say I could get shot and happier on that verse. <laughs> I, I, could, I could really appreciate, and I do, I always have appreciated that particular uh, scripture. To me, it was a great comfort, even though the first night I was there, I didn't know how bad off I was supposed to be. It wasn't until afterward. But then I had another blessing. You know, at choir practice, I oftentimes kid around a little bit, and I'll say, hit it, D. You know, that, that means start playing the piano. You know. Well, I tell you, I, I dreamt the night after the operation, I came, that I was coming up the steps here, coming up onto the platform, and just as I got there about where the flag is, Dee hit it. <laughs> and we started singing, what a mighty God we serve. And in my dream, we had church. <laughs> we, we sang it, and we sang it a couple times, as I remember. But we sang, what a mighty God we serve. Meditating on his word is not just for the sick and the dying, but it is for the living. Those of us in our everyday lives, we ought to uh, meditate. If you, uh, you know, most of us, we don't have a regular job we have to go to anymore. So when you're, have you, if you have your morning devotions, you don't have to cut them short because, oh, I gotta get to work. So we ought, you ought to sit and just reflect on what you just read in, this, in uh, the scriptures. It needs to be done in good times as well as bad times. You know, it's amazing, but I found this to be true in my 50-some years preaching. But some people only even come to church if they have a problem. I was in a church where we had a man that suffered with a very unpleasant thing, kidney stones. Anybody that's had them knows that they're not pleasant to have. And it was amazing. He was always there when he had a kidney stone attack. And, <laughs> and it was the first one up at the altar in that church. The custom was, if you wanted anointed, the altar was open at a certain time. And he was the first one there. But we never see him again till the next kidney attack. <laughs> that's not serving God, and that's not inter properly interpreting what God meant. You know, we should meditate on it. It should be a comfort to us then. Daily devotions. We think of God, meditation, memory, and meditation, that's what I was looking for in my note here. Meditation also means memorize. If you read something and you really like it, go over it, go over it, read over it, read over it, and read over it till you can just, any time after that, you can just recall that particular scripture. You know, the, we have the, the daily bread out there in the, in the uh, vestibule, and the, the, the special teaching that they had for Friday, August the 26th, had something in here uh, that, that at, has to do with what I'm preaching on today. 
It says the disciple Peter had some practical advice on how to do this, that is, to honor God. He urged us to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against our soul. Although he didn't use the word honorable, he was calling us to behavior worthy of Christ. As the Apostle Paul phrased it in his letter to the Philippians, in four verse, chapter 4, verse 8, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and, or praiseworthy, think about such things. Indeed, these are the characteristics of behavior that honor our God. We have to remember that, you know, we aren't going to be here forever, and if we plan on going where we want to go, we got to prepare ourselves for it. Other scriptures that I found that also deal with this are Psalm 119.15. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. And then uh, my hand... Yeah, I, I read, misread one a while ago. So, uh, again, I'll go read it again. Psalm 119.48. My hands will I also lift up to your commandments which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. You know, we are, we are fortunate. We have Bibles. There is no reason for, nobody, for anybody to not have a Bible in their home or have access to a Bible, not in today's age. But I have to think back to the early church. You know, back in the before the Middle Ages and, and up to, I think, the Middle Ages, the people that could read and write were doctors, those that administered the laws of the land, the priests, and that was it. So they came up with a unique idea that, that I appreciate very much today, and that is stained glass. They, if you look over in Europe, those old churches that go way back, they have stained glass and pictures that if you couldn't read your Bible, but you heard, a, you heard the story told before, you could look at that stained glass and you could think, yes, that's the good shepherd. I mean, the one church that I started, well, the church I started out in, we had Christ up there in stained glass holding a lamb in his arms and a flock around him and he had this shepherd's crook in the other hand reminded you of the 23rd Psalm and uh, I mean there, there's many things that can jog your memory and should jog you to, into thinking about some of the words of God another thing that I had looked into uh, when I was researching this about 40 years ago I did this but you know Church bells. Why did they have bells? Why did they ever hang bells into the church? It was because most people didn't have a timepiece at home of any kind. No clock, alarm clock. <laughs> Thank God they didn't have alarm clocks. But anyhow, <laughs> but anyhow they didn't have any, any way to have uh, told the time. So they put a bell in the church. 
And we all know that famous painting. Uh, that there's a woman out there in, standing in the field between two rows, and she's standing there like this, you know, in meditation or in prayer. And that was, they rang the bell for evening prayer. When it was time at the church for evening prayer, and they did have some kind of timepiece there that they knew when the different things were, and she went into prayer. And time of remembrance. I don't, I, yeah, I will tell you this one. <laughs> when I went to Corolla Chapel, right at the first years I was there, we had a church bell there, and I restrung the rope. The rope had rotted off in the 25 years that nobody had been in the church or used the church. So I restrung the rope up to the bell, and I would do what, I, what they did up in Pennsylvania when I was a kid. The church bell was rung every time, one hour before a service, and then again at the start of the service. A little later on, instead of at the start of the service, some rang it while the church was repeating the Lord's Prayer so that all the people in the community that weren't in church could stop and pause and, and say the Lord's Prayer. Well, I thought that at work in Kerala. I had a bell, and one day somebody came over to me during the week. They said, we don't appreciate you ringing the bell at 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we had a service at 8 o'clock and at 10 o'clock, so I rang it. I wanted to ring it at 7. Make sure, you know, sometimes alarm clocks don't work or, or you might have forgot to set your alarm. And I was just trying to provide a service for them. But anyhow... That, that is uh, what bills were for. That's just a little extra I threw in today. <laughs> when, we, when we think back over the Apostle, I mean over the uh, Ten Commandments, uh, Pat Robertson years ago wrote a book in which he said, there, don't forget, they're the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. Now, you should, we should all think on the Ten Commandments from time to time because there isn't a sin that you can fall into that cannot be applied under, under one of the Ten Commandments that are there. I mean, it had to be God that gave Moses the Ten Commandments and he wrote them with his finger on stone. I mean, that we might have them today and they are guidelines. I know I heard one preacher say one time, we don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments. All they are, are, are for is for guidelines. Well, what do you mean all they are for is for guidelines? We need guidelines. I don't care whether you're a church person or an unchurch person. There are rules and regulations that we should be willing to live by. Getting back again to memory verses and things of memory. When I was a 14-year-old, I belonged to a church, I mean, I belonged to a church that was a member of a six-church parish. We only had services every two weeks. And each time we had it, it'd be morning, and two weeks it'd be afternoon, and, three, and the next time it'd be in the evening. 
And we had an elderly pastor. I don't know if it was because of his age or, or what, but it seemed for that when we had the evening service, he always used the same hymn for the closing. And that hymn became a favorite hymn of mine. It was written as a poem in 1820 and was set to music in 1868. And I have never seen it in another hymnal that was uh, not printed 1920 or before. Why it has dropped out of use, I don't know. But that was another one that I thought of when I was in the hospital. I'm going to read it to you as a poem this morning. It's not scripture, and I'm saying about, you know, meditate on his word, but it is somebody that was meditating on his word that wrote these truths that you will hear in this, this poem. Savior, breathe an evening blessing, ere repose our spirits seal. Sin and want we come confessing, thou canst save and thou canst heal. Though destruction walk around us, though the arrows pass us fly, angel guards from thee surround us. We are safe if thou art nigh. Though the night be dark and dreary, darkness cannot hide from thee. Thou art he who never weary watcheth where their peop- your people be. Should swift death this night o'ertake us, and our couch become our tomb, may the morn in heaven awaken us, glad in, clad in light and deathless bloom. I mean, it pretty well t- tells us what to, to look forward to. I mean, the things that God has promised, we're surrounded. We can't see. I often wonder already, uh, if we could see the unseen... How many angels might be packed in here this morning? You know, did you ever stop and think of that? Because uh, the one Old Testament guy, he had one that was a naysayer and that said, oh, we can't beat them. There are too many of them against us. And he said, look around us. He said, we're surrounded with angels that we're going to help them fight. But... Uh Uh-oh, I better get moving. (laughs) I'm going to tell you a a story that illustrates what I was trying to put across to you today. Up in the area, just a little bit south, maybe 10 miles south of where I was originally born and raised, Back in the, uh, in the French and Indian War era, and it touched up there, we had a fort in back outside of the town that I was raised in, Fort Henry. It was a, a fort for, because of the Indians uh, attacking. But there was a family that came over from Germany by the name of Hartman, and they settled, built a cabin, and started clearing land. One morning, the father got up and the 16-year-old son, and he went out over a hill away from the cabin to clear rocks, to clear the field. You're getting the rocks out and the roots of trees and everything that they had cleared. They were trying to make another field. 
the mother and a younger child, they went, saddled up the horse and took about 40, or 40 to 60 pounds of wheat and they were headed off to a 10 mile trek on the horse to get the wheat ground into flour. They left a daughter by the name of Regina. They left her at the cabin and what she was doing was the normal work that you had around a cabin back in those days, the normal daily work that uh, you had to do. Indians came after everybody was gone and Regina was alone and raided that cabin. They took her captive and took her, I don't know where, but somewhere in northern Pennsylvania, uh, but it's not Pennsylvania. They took her and as a slave. The father and the son happened to look over the hill. Well, the, the son, according to the story, the way it's written at the Historical Society, looked up to the hill and he said, Dad, where's that smoke coming from? That's over around the cabin. What did Regina do now? You know, that she set the place on fire. What's burning over there? So they rushed up over the hill and they saw the cabin up in flames. They waited and they, till it was completely burnt down and they to see if Regina's remains were somewhere in the ashes because it was pretty well burned down by the time they got there. But they couldn't find her. Family was distraught. And about 15 years later, a treaty was made between the government and the Indians. In the treaty, it said that the Indians had to bring back those people that they captured and took as slaves. The meeting place for an exchange of, you know, we have that today in <laughs> exchanging people, but the exchange was to be held at Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which is about five, ten miles west of, of Harrisburg. And Regina's mother decided she was going to go. She was going to go to see if she could find Regina. Now, she had about a 25-mile horseback ride to get there. But and, you know, she got there the day before. It's in the, the book, it tells you that as she got close, after she crossed the Susquehanna, and she started to get close to Carlisle, she saw smoke going up all over the place, and she saw many Indian encampments with their, their uh, teepees. And she gets there. In the morning, the government agent said, okay, to the Indians, you line up two rows about 15 feet apart, two rows, and have them facing in, you know, into the vacant space. And they lined up their captives. And then he said to the people that were there hunting for lost relatives or friends, they said to them, we want you to go up and down the row and check their faces and see if you recognize anybody. Regina's mother went down one row, turned around, came back up the other row. She didn't recognize anybody, and none of the Indian, none of the slaves recognized her. She did it again. Same result. 
She was weeping as she came back up the row again. And this government agent went to her and said, is there anything unique that you might have done in your home that might jog her memory if you repeated it here today? And she thought a while and then she said, the only thing I can think of is every day during our daily devotions, we sang this one verse of a, one of the hymns from our church. Then he said, well, what do you think? Do you think maybe if you walked up and down the row and you sang that hymn that she might recognize it? She said, I don't know, but I'll try anything. She goes up the row and down the row singing, a line, a line, net guns a line, in meiner Einsamkeit, ja, er spär mir nicht bei ihm, do kommt mir gar kein Freit. Loosely translated, being Pennsylvania Germans speak primarily Swabish, but it's a little different than the normal Schwab or Schwabish that they speak in Germany today. So it's, I guess you'd call it a dialect of that German, but it's alone, alone. Yet not I'm all alone. In this my time of trouble. Yes, he's with me. No, I'm with him, and he's with me. Therefore, no fear is going to come on me. Not, no, no trouble can, can overtake me. It's, that's a loose translation of, of what uh, the, the German was that she sang. She's coming back up. She had gone down, nothing. She's coming back up the row again, and she's singing it, and all at once she heard that she wasn't alone. There was a duet. This Indian that had been brainwashed, according to today's standards, and looked so different because of her, she had turned real brown from being out in the sun. She didn't look like the family anymore, but Regina, it jogged her memory. And they were reunited. She lived and died in Stocksburg, Pennsylvania. If you ever get down 422 in Pennsylvania, the Stocksburg Lutheran Church, if you go in just over from the main gate on the, on the stone wall that they have around the old cemetery, you'll find a, a tombstone which says Regina Hartman but it has buried in an unmarked grave in the, in the real old part of the cemetery. Isn't it true? Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. When the time comes, God will give it back to you. God will bring it to your remembrance. And that's what happened to Regina. Uh-oh. I have a little to go yet, Joe, but I won't go as long as you did last week. Okay. Today we are in trouble here in the country. Not only the church, but the, the whole country is in trouble today. We look around us and we see that they've taken the Bible out of the public school. They've taken prayer out of the public school. I was in a church meeting one time where they had 
testimony meeting, they called it. Now, you know, 10 verses was what they took out of the school. You read 10 verses from the Bible, you said the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed, and today they don't do none in, in most schools. But anyhow, a lot of people say, were, would say, well, what good is it? You know, what do 10 verses do? You know? And they took it out. I belonged to a church at that time, and I took a petition in when they were going to vote on it. And I took this petition into the church, and the pastor that I had at that time forbid me. He caught, me, he caught somebody riding on it, and he said, what's that? And where'd you get that from John? He came over to me, he said, you take this. He said, I don't want that here in the church. I don't want it. The church sat back and left the, school, the, the government take the Bible out of the school. I mean, we sat back and said nothing. I did hear one test. Did I, did I finish my testimony story? I don't believe I did. <laughs> he got up and he said that he remembered it during the testimony meeting. He said he remembered a verse that was read when he was a kid in school. He was an unchurched man, didn't go to church anywhere, but he hit a hard time. And for some reason, he remembered that in those 10 verses that they used to read back in school, one day they had read this verse and, and it came back to him. It says, now we have, today we have dope, we have rape, we have disobedience like never before in school. And you parents, you better not touch that teacher or scold that teacher for touching your good little Johnny or your little Sally in school. You better not. I tell you, when I went to school, when my father found out that I had done something I shouldn't have done in school, I got my backside tanned again. I mean, I didn't just get disciplined in school. I was punished again at home. I mean, that's why our educational system is so bad. There's too many parents interfering with the discipline in the public schools today. There are countries today where churches may not even put a steeple or a cross up or a cross on the outside of the building to let people know that it's a church. We can look at other places and see indications of, of uh, us going backwards as far as our, our uh, Christianity is concerned. It seems every time there's a new session of Congress comes in, you know, House and Senate, some joker comes up with, we got to do away with the government chaplains and the military chaplains because, you know, that's, that's interfering. That's not a separation of church and state. Some countries have Bible burnings, even today, especially the Middle East. If they catch somebody with a Bible, they'll burn it. We have had, and I'm not going to enumerate these, but in our own country, just in the last year, year and a half, think of the, some of the things that were passed that are definitely forbidden in the Bible. World War II, preachers got shot because they, they, they spoke up against Hitler. I'm, I'm here to tell you, I don't think I'll live to see it, but I think the day is coming 
when they're going to close the churches down. They don't want churches around anymore. It makes me think back to an old German pastor who was incarcerated uh, by Hitler's Nazi party in 1937. He said, when the Nazis came for the communists, I remained silent. I was not a communist. When they locked up the social democrats, I remained silent. I was not a social democrat. When they came for the trade unionists, I did not speak out. I was not a trade unionist. When they came for the Jews, I remained silent. After all, I wasn't a Jew. When they came for me, there was no one left to speak out. The day might come that the only Bible you will have is what you have hidden in your heart. And that is the thrust of my message today. God, our Father, we just thank you again for the time that we have had to bring forth a teaching out of your word. We pray, Lord, that we would never be that callous or, or not callous, but negligent and let any more of our freedoms be taken away from us. Be with us, Lord. Guide us, lead us. And if we get into difficult times, give us that remembrance. Because we know that this is how you would have us to live, according to your word. Amen. There's one other example I wanted to give you before I closed. And somehow it slipped away for me. But any of you that have ever worked around people with Alzheimer's, a lot of them, you could start singing some old hymn of the church that they belong to, and they will join in with you. And they, they might not remember who you are, if you're a wife, husband, daughter, or what, they might not remember who you are, but they can tell you every word in that him if you when you start singing it with them so we with that i'm going to close